going to do a, a new feature here uh, that I plan to do on Thursdays around this time, and that's uh, where we'll cover issues of crime and call it, you know, anatomy of a crime. And it's, and it's where I'll bring in our crime and security analyst, Dave Perry, to go over, I think, current and historical cases or the big prominent cases that we see to give you the police perspective. Because Dave Perry and I kind of crossed paths uh, as a reporter versus a homicide cop. When I was a reporter, a lot we covered a lot of the same cases, and on, we had very different views. I had always wanted the view that he had, but I could never quite get that. But now I get uh, the behind-the-scenes look because he's with us now. Hi, Dave. Can you Good evening, us? Alex. Hey there. There you go. I can hear you. Dave Perry joining us tonight. So we've got uh, a few uh, headlines that we wanted to kind of pull up. And let, let's start with, with the one topic that you've been talking about. And this all has to do with the SIU, which I called the uh, Shield of Blue. And I'll, I'll point to the Danforth uh, shooting case where, you know, this thing's been mired in, in, in legalities or whatever they're doing with it. But a big part of this was the SIU investigative part of it. And I call it the wall of silence because once it goes up, it is impossible to get information. And not for like a week. It's months. Why does it take so long? That's a great question. And I've, I've always wondered, and I wondered out loud, why it takes so long for them to complete what I would say sometimes are very standard investigations, albeit serious. I mean... For example, if a police officer is involved in a, in a fatal shooting, um, this isn't a whodunit. This isn't uh, a case where the SIU have to go out and figure out who actually did it. All of the evidence is there. All of the officer's notes are there. The radio calls, the, the scene is protected. And uh, they're, they're coming at it from a fresh point of view, so it, it shouldn't take very long at all to, to make some definitive conclusions. And I've seen cases, Alex, where... Quite frankly, I could clear the officers overnight sure. because because they used absolute uh, restraint. They actually put themselves at risk. They only used, uh, you know, appropriate force when when they they really had no other choice. And and in one case I worked on, uh, an officer involved shooting. The whole thing was captured on video, and this is before everybody had cell phones. Mm. But the, the the video was so clear that this poor deranged man who opened open up on the the officers as they responded to the scene there were bullets flying everywhere uh, he emptied his gun at the police there was a couple of officers who returned fire there were bullets going through uh, a TTC bus as people were unloading it was it was just mayhem but somebody captured the whole thing on video from a third uh, floor balcony and the, the the part that really struck me is that i think all of the officers who attended that scene assessed quite quickly that this person um, was suffering from some kind of a mental health issue that led him to get a firearm and start shooting indiscriminately at the police and anybody else. And nobody wanted to shoot this guy. And the video was clear. There were many times when the officers should have probably shot him to protect their own their own lives and their own safety, but they used tremendous restraint. And eventually, uh, shot, they did shoot him. Uh, fortunately, he, he it wasn't a fatal shooting. But it took months yeah. and months for the SIU to get through this. Uh, to the point where I had officers phoning me and 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 uh, seriously crying on the telephone, saying, you know, Dave, what's going to happen? Christmas is in two weeks. Are we going to be charged? Are we going to be arrested? And and the stress that they were under. And that was one of the first times I, I did a parallel investigation with the SIU, and I, I guess, you know, to be real, I think they've come a long way. But boy, when you see things like the Danforth shooting and others, where it, it just takes them so long to come out and say what 
pretty well everybody in the public already knows that the officers acted appropriately. Yeah, but, but this, just, that's just, the problem. I mean, it, we should be getting faster at this, and we're getting slower at this. I mean, that, that the, there's months and months and months between, you know, the SIU taking over an investigation, and I get why they do it, Dave. I get it. It's frustrating for reporters because we know as soon as the SIU shows up, we can't get anything. I mean, it's impossible to get information, but I get why they do it um, for issues of dealing with, with cops, but it should not take months. And, and it doesn't do, I think, the cops any favors because because what it does is creates this vacuum of, of, you know, of nothing that gets filled up with innuendo and a lot of mistrust. Absolutely. And I, th- I think it, it's a disservice to the public. And, and that's really who we all serve, whether you're the police officer or you're a member of the SIU. We all serve the public. Mm. And um, I think it's a big disservice when, you know, for example, a family is, is coming out and saying, you know, there's no way that my son was involved in firearms he didn't have a gun you know and so on and meanwhile every police officer who was at that scene that night would would state that there was a gun that he did pull a gun on the police he refused to drop it and and so on minutes later when the siu show up at least they could make a statement that there was a firearm found at the scene you know it's very simple to sort of you know quell the suspicion that all this this cloak of silence creates and that's that's what really frustrates me i think people start to get inside their own head and they start wondering well you know why aren't we hearing there was a gun therefore there probably wasn't a gun and therefore the police officers used lethal force when they weren't justified to do so and the opposite is quite true yeah, I mean, if there's one area of bureaucracy I'd love the Ford government to overhaul, it would be this one, because after the the Danforth thing, that did not take seven months, six months to, to figure out that he shot himself. I mean, it just didn't. I mean, that was common sense, and they should have been able to dot that I and cross that T much, much sooner. Um, let's well, move. if they do a review, pick me. And, yeah. And they, <laughs> I would, hey, I would love to be a part of that, and I think you would, too. Yeah, well, now it'll be looked at as uh, doing favors for you, so we can't do that. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, yeah, but they should. They should get a bunch of homicide guys to say, here's how this should work, and make it more efficient because it's not working and it, and you compare it to the american system and it's just backwards how we do things here other uh, headline i want to talk to you is you know it's cold outside and i hate the cold but as you point out and it's not until you pointed it out did i notice we haven't had any shootings it's we great for, for, for non-violence it's good for violence one of the best things we can do to control uh, the number of shootings in a city like Toronto is to have a cold snap like we've been experiencing. Like it sounds uh, trite, but I mean, it's when you get those real hot, um, you know, muggy summer nights when people are hanging around and kind of, you know, they they get into areas and something happens and and tempers flare. But in the cold, they're all kind of staying home, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's something we see every year. It's uh, the climatic uh, change will obviously affect you know, the crime rates, the violent crimes. And I remember as a police officer going in on a midnight shift on one of those hot, steamy nights, you yeah. just knew you were going to be really busy because there's a lot of people out. There's a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of interactions and therefore violence. And, you know, like the cold snap we've been gripped in the last week or two, it, I'm not the least bit surprised. I watch the news every day, listen to the news every day, and I'm not the least bit surprised that we haven't had virtually any real shootings or, or murders by, by gun uh, during the cold snap. Do cops get more nervous than in the summer? I mean, there are certainly uh, jurisdictions that are worse than others. I mean, not all jurisdictions are created equal when it comes to, to gun crime violence. I know people don't like to hear that, but that's just the truth. There are certain areas of Toronto that are worse than others. Uh, but do cops get more nervous in the summer fully knowing that weather does play a role? Yeah, I, I suppose you're even more alert in in the hot summer months knowing that there's so, there's so much activity and there are people, you know, walking by you that potentially are carrying firearms and 
and could engage with somebody or or you as a police officer. So uh, they're also, you know, police officers, you know, enjoy getting out there and, and doing their job. And for me as a young police officer, I kind of look forward to those hot summer nights where at least uh, you weren't worried about drifting off to sleep and, and being bored. There was always something going on and, and lots to do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to I, I wanted to talk to you about this headline out of BC. It dri- this is driving me nuts. And because I have to think as a police officer, this has got to drive them crazy. But there's this BC man caught with more than 27,000 fentanyl pills in his van. He was stopped up for a traffic violation. The cop had a hunch something wasn't right because there were so many cell phones beside him. There was a lot of cologne being um, worn, and the guy was sweating profusely. So what does he do as a cop? He gets his drug-sniffing dog. The dog notifies him that he's found something, and I guess one of the ways drug dogs uh, indicate that is by sitting down. Well, a curb got in the way between the dog's butt and the ground, and so he didn't get the chance to fully sit down. And the judge's ruling at the B.C. Supreme Court said, you know, I have found that the final sit confirmation was ambiguous and not sufficiently objectively reliable such that it adequately adds to the overall totality of circumstances so as to justify a search of the vehicle. In other words, this, you know, this went against the accused charter rights. So a dog's um, failure to sit led to a guy being acquitted. So 27,000 fentanyl pills. That would have probably killed a few people. I mean, what's the point in cops investigating these kinds of things if you can bend the charter any which way as stupidly as this? Just when you thought you heard the dumbest decision coming out of a BC court, I read this this morning and I literally almost spit my coffee. I, I couldn't believe that a judge would would use sort of so you know lack of common sense in in applying a ruling to something so important as a fentanyl case but is there I an mean, aggravating every, factor i'm missing like no i think it's just a fact where uh, a judge chose to uh, make a ruling in a vacuum you know based on what he perceived to be uh, an inaccurate sitting of a dog, which is, I think the dog was maybe the smartest one in the courtroom <laughs> on that morning. But I, I just can't believe for a second that a judge would look at a video that was partially obstructed and say, I'm not sure that the dog sat properly, didn't sit all the way. It bumped its behind on a curb, but it probably startled it and made it you know, adjust its position. Therefore, the police officer handling that dog didn't have the right to do the search and, of course, the fruit of the poison tree and everything happens. So the wait. whole thing unfolds and this guy this guy walks out free. And I mean, this is a very serious drug dealer. 27,000 yeah. hits. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't... The, this, this is a guy who's delivering death. <laughs> had, those, had those drugs been successfully delivered to whoever he was delivering to, there, there would be deaths in, in the streets of British Columbia as a result. And this judge, in his wisdom, chose to... Uh, believe an expert from the United States, a former dog handler, police officer, and start splitting hairs, pardon the pun, and uh, ruled against the dog. Right. So the dog didn't do its job properly. Well, it's, so. I, think it's a, I think it's exploiting our charter, and I think we have too many of these cases that are exploiting our charter, because I do believe in the charter, but it seems like we can throw these cases out every which way now. Um, but when you go to pull someone over in a, in a suspected drug case, let's say, a lot of it is on a hunch. And yeah, you have to have cause, I guess, to bring someone in and search them. Sure. But I, I, you know, to me, when a police officer pulls you over and they expect, you know, they think that you might be trafficking something, and they've got um, reasonable suspicion, where does that? Why does that not factor in here? Well, that's part of the charter that speaks against reasonable suspicion, and uh, 
you know, that, that definition continues to evolve and change, but it's not in the favor of communities and law enforcement. It's in, in favor of criminals. Yeah. And, you know, we're hearing these decisions coming down all the time. I fully, you know, believe and support the charter. I mean, it, that's why Canada is such a great country. But on the other hand, the manipulation and twisting of, of what it's actually supposed to mean and to have, you know, officers become the subject of the inquiry yeah. rather than the criminals. Right. So that's and that's the reality. Police officers, you know, why did you stop my client? Well, I stopped him because in this case, as, as you you uh, read this, this officer noticed all of the signs of a drug dealer, you know, the. Mm -hmm. The, the masking of the drug smells using cologne and the nervousness and the cell phones and all, all the typical things. Any any decent police officer would be looking here going, there's something up and yeah. and therefore doing their job. But, uh, you know, they, we're spending way too much time in in the courts trying to examine. Well, here's the here's the crazy part. <laughs> it used to be just examining the police officers themselves. And now they're starting to examine oh, yeah. the be the behavior of the police dog. And I don't know what's next. So, well, you know, what's coming next because we've got too many activists at the bench. Um, all right. I've got to let you go there, David. I thank you much and we'll do it again. My pleasure. Look forward to the next one. That is Dave Perry joining us. We'll do this weekly. But, yeah, that, ca that case has got to drive cops crazy. What the hell? 27,000 pills. Yeah, I was uh, just dropping them off to a friend. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.